0: chapter twenty three of nurse and spy in the union army by sarah emma e edmonds this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty three after reaching warrenton the army encamped in that vicinity for a few days during which father abraham took the favourable opportunity of relieving the idol of the army of the potomac from his command and ordered him to report at Trenton, New Jersey, just as he was entering upon another campaign with his army in splendid condition. After a brief address and an affecting farewell to officers and men, he hastened to comply with the order. His farewell address was as follows quote, November seventh, eighteen sixty two. Officers and soldiers of the Army of the Potomac an order of the president devolves upon major-general burnside the command of this army in parting from you i cannot express the love and gratitude i bear you as an army you have grown up under my care in you i have never found doubt or coldness the battles you have fought under my command will proudly live in our nation's history the glory you have achieved our mutual perils and fatigues the graves of our comrades fallen in battle and by disease the broken forms of those whom wounds and sickness have disabled, the strongest associations which can exist among men, unite us still by an indissoluble tie. We shall ever be comrades in supporting the constitution of our country and the nationality of its people." That was a sad day for the Army of the Potomac. The new commander marched the army immediately to Falmouth, opposite Fredericksburg, of the incidents of that march I know nothing, for I went to Washington, and from thence to Aquia Creek by water. I did not return to Washington on the cars, but rode on horseback, and made a two days' trip of it, visiting all the old places as I went, the battleground of the first and second bull-run battles, Centerville, Fairfax Courthouse, and Chantilla but how shall I describe the sights which I saw and the impressions which I had as I rode over those fields? There were men and horses thrown together in heaps, and some clay thrown on them above ground. Others lay where they had fallen, their limbs bleaching in the sun without the appearance of burial. There was one in particular, a cavalryman. He and his horse both lay together, nothing but the bones and clothing remained but one of his arms stood straight up, or rather the bones and the coat-sleeve, his hand had dropped off at the wrist and lay on the ground. Not a finger or joint was separated, but the hand was perfect. I dismounted twice for the purpose of bringing away that hand, but did not do so after all. I would have done so if it had been possible to find a clue to his name or regiment." The few families who still live in that vicinity tell horrid tales of the brutal conduct of the rebels after those battles. A southern clergyman declares that in the town where he now resides he saw rebel soldiers selling Yankee skulls at ten dollars apiece, and it is a common thing to see rebel women bear rings and ornaments made of our soldiers' bones. In fact, they boast of it, even to the Union soldiers, that they have Yankee bone ornaments." This to me is a far more sickening sight than was presented at the time of the battles, with dead and wounded lying in their gore. I looked in vain for the old brush-heap which had once screened me from the rebel cavalry. The fire had consumed it. But the remains of the stone church at Centerville was an object of deep interest to me. I went from Washington to Aquia Creek by steamer, and from thence to Falmouth on horseback, i found the army encamped in the mud for miles along the rappahannock river the river is very narrow between falmouth and fredericksburg not more than a stone's cast in some places i have often seen the pickets on both sides amusing themselves by throwing stones across it some writer in describing the picturesque scenery in this locality says quote, there is a young river meandering through its centre towards which slope down beautiful banks of mud on either side, while the fields are delightfully variegated by alternate patches of snow and swamp, and the numerous roads are in such condition that no matter which one you take, you are sure to wish you had tried another instead. All the mud and bad roads on the peninsula could not bear the least comparison with that of Falmouth and along the Rappahannock. It was now December, and the weather was extremely cold, yet the constant rains kept the roads in the most terrible state imaginable. On riding along the brink of the river we could see distinctly the rebel batteries frowning on the heights beyond the city of Fredericksburg, and the rebel sentinels walking their rounds within talking distance of our own pickets. On the 11th the city was shelled by our troops, the pontoon bridges were laid amid showers of bullets from the sharpshooters of the enemy, who were ensconced in the houses on the opposite bank. However, the work went steadily on, notwithstanding that two out of every three who were engaged in laying the bridges were either killed or wounded, but as fast as one fell another took his place. Soon it was deemed expedient to take care of those sharpshooters before the bridges could be finished, several companies filed into boats and rowed across in a few minutes the men of the seventh michigan leading the van and drove the rebels from the houses killing some and taking many prisoners the bridges were soon completed the troops marched over and took possession of the city headquarters were established in the principal building and a church and other large buildings were appropriated for hospital purposes the following is an extract from my journal written on the battlefield the second day after we crossed the river. Quote, Battlefield, Fredericksburg, Virginia, December 13, 1862. In consequence of one of General H.'s staff officers being ill, I have volunteered to take his place, and am now aide de camp to General H. I wish my friends could see me in my present uniform this division will probably charge on the enemy's works this afternoon god grant them success while i write the roar of cannon and musketry is almost deafening and the shot and shell are falling fast on all sides this may be my last entry in this journal god's will be done i commit myself to him soul and body i must close general h has mounted his horse and says come of course it is not for me to say whose fault it was in sacrificing those thousands of noble lives which fall upon that disastrous field, or in charging again and again upon those terrible stone walls and fortifications, after being repulsed every time with more than half their number lying on the ground. The brave men, nothing daunted by their thinned ranks, advanced more fiercely on the foe. Plunged in the battery's smoke, fiercely the line they broke, strong was the sabre stroke making an army real but when it was proved to a demonstration that it was morally impossible to take and retain those heights in consequence of the natural advantage of position which the rebels occupied and still would occupy if they should fall back whose fault was it that the attempt was made time after time until the field was literally piled with dead and ran red with blood we may truly say of the brave soldiers thus sacrificed. Theirs is not to reason why, theirs not to make reply, theirs but to do and die. Among the many who fell in that dreadful battle, perhaps there is none more worthy of notice than the brave and heroic Major Edward E. Sturtevant of Keene, New Hampshire, who fell while leading the gallant fifth in a charge upon the enemy. He was the first man in New Hampshire who enlisted for the war. He was immediately authorized by the governor to make enlistments for the first New Hampshire volunteers, and was eminently successful. He held the commission of captain in the first regiment, and afterwards was promoted major of the fifth. One of the leading papers of his native state has the following with regard to him, Quote, He was in every battle where the regiment was engaged, nine or ten in number, besides skirmishes, and was slightly wounded at the Battle of Fair Oaks. He commanded the regiment most of the time on the retreat from the Chickahominy to James River. The filial affection of the deceased was of the strongest character, and made manifest in substantial ways on many occasions. His death is the first in the household, and deep is the grief that is experienced there, but that grief will doubtless be mitigated by the consoling circumstance that the departed son and brother died in a service that will hallow his memory for ever. A braver man or more faithful friend never yielded up his spirit amidst the clash of arms and the wail of the dying." Quote. I well remember the desperate charge which that brave officer made upon the enemy just before he fell, and the thinned and bleeding ranks of his men as they returned leaving their beloved commander on the field reminded me of the gallant six hundred of whom tennyson has written the following lines stormed at with shot and shell they that had struck so well rode through the jaws of death half a league back again up from the mouth of hell all that was left of them I have since had the pleasure of becoming acquainted with the bereaved family of the deceased, and deeply sympathize with them in the loss of one so noble, kind, and brave. Major Sturdivant was the son of George W. Sturdevant, Esquire, and nephew of Reverend David Kilburn, one of the pioneers of Methodism, whom thousands will remember as a faithful and efficient minister of the gospel. During the progress of that battle I saw many strange sights, Although I had been in many a fierce battle before, I never saw till then a man deliberately shoot himself with his own pistol in order to save the rebels the satisfaction of doing so, as it would seem. As one brigade was ordered into line of battle, I saw an officer take out his pistol and shoot himself through the side, not mortally, I am sorry to say, but just sufficient to unfit him for duty. So he was carried to the rear he protesting that it was done by accident another officer i saw there a young and handsome lieutenant disgrace his shoulder straps by showing the white feather at the very moment when he was most needed i rode three miles with general h to general franklin's headquarters the second night we were at fredericksburg and of all the nights i can recall to mind that was the darkest on our way we had numerous ditches to leap various ravines to cross, and mountains to climb, which can be better imagined than described. It was not only once or twice that horse and rider went tumbling into Chasm's head first, but frequently. As we passed along, we stopped at the headquarters of General Bayard, General of Cavalry, a few minutes, found him enjoying a cup of coffee under a large tree, which constituted his headquarters. We called again when we returned, but he was cold in death having been struck by a stray shot and died in a short time he was killed just where we had left him under the tree he was a splendid officer and his removal was a great loss to the federal cause his death cast a gloom over his whole command which was deeply felt of the wounded of this battle I can say but little, for my time was fully occupied in the responsible duties which I had volunteered to perform, and so constantly was I employed, that I was not out of the saddle but once in twelve hours, and that was to assist an officer of the seventy-ninth, who lay writhing in agony on the field, having been seized with cramps and spasms, and was suffering the most extreme pain. He was one of the brave and fearless ones, however, and in less than an hour, after having taken some powerful medicine which I procured for him, he was again on his horse at the general's side. On going to the church hospital in search of Dr. E., I saw an immense shell which had been sent through the building and fell on the floor, in the centre of those wounded and dying men who had just been carried off the field, and placed there for safety. But, strange to say, it did not burst or injure any one, and was carried out and laid beside the mangled limbs which had been amputated in consequence of contact with just such instruments of death. I saw the remains of the Rev. A. B. Fuller, chaplain of the 16th Massachusetts, as they were removed to the camp. He was faithful to his trust, and died at his post. On one of my necessary rides, in the darkness of that dreadful night, I passed by a graveyard nearby where our reserves were lying, and there, in that hour of darkness and danger, I heard the voice of prayer ascend. A group of soldiers were there holding communion with God, strengthening their souls for the coming conflict. There are, scattered over the battlefields and camping-grounds of this war, Bethels, consecrated to God, and sacred to souls who have wrestled and prevailed." This retirement was a graveyard with a marble slab for an altar, where that little band met to worship God, perhaps for the last time. But among all the dead and wounded I saw none who touched my heart so much as one beautiful boy severely wounded. He was scarcely more than a child, and certainly a very attractive one. Some one writes the following after he was sent to a hospital. Quote, among the many brave, uncomplaining fellows who were brought up to the hospital from the Battle of Fredericksburg was a bright-eyed and intelligent youth, sixteen years old, who belonged to a northern regiment. He appeared more affectionate and tender, more refined and thoughtful than many of his comrades, and attracted a good deal of attention from the attendants and visitors. Manifestly the pet of some household which he had left perhaps in spite of entreaty and tears he expressed an anxious longing for the arrival of his mother who was expected having been informed that he was mortally wounded and failing fast ere she arrived however he died but before the end almost his last act of consciousness was the thought that she had really come for as a lady sat by his pillow and wiped the death-dews from his brow just as his sight was failing he rallied a little like an expiring taper in its socket looked up longingly and joyfully and in tones that drew tears from every eye whispered audibly is that mother then drawing her toward him with all his feeble power he nestled his head in her arms like a sleeping child and thus died with the sweet word mother on his lips raise me in your arms dear mother let me once more look on the green and waving willows and the flowing brook hark those strains of angel music from the choirs above dearest mother i am going truly god is love a council of war was held by our generals and the conclusion arrived at that the enterprise should be abandoned and that the army should recross the rappahannock under cover of darkness everything was conducted in the most quiet manner so quiet indeed that the enemy never suspected the movement and the retreat was accomplished and the bridges partially removed before the fact was discovered End of chapter twenty three